In today's episode of Trouble with the Snap, we will be recapping a pretty wild week eight before jumping into some discussions about Iowa football and the latest with the Michigan sign-stealing scandal. Roll the intro. Nick Saban, and in 2003, the Tigers captured the BCS... Michigan State Jalen West takes in and he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Trouble with the Snap. I'm your host, Colton Deutsch, joined, as always, by the former Tyler, Texas, Houston, Texas legend, Will Shemansky, down there at the Texas A&M University, the Fighting Aggies. Will, how are you doing today? Fighting Texas Aggies, Colton. Um, I'm I'm messing with you. Um, I'm doing well. How about you, man? Not too bad. Not too bad. So you told me about this earlier. Uh, You did visit my old stomping grounds this past weekend. How was Tyler? It was cool. I went down to Tyler, Texas for the first time. Longer drive than I anticipated for the Tyler Rose Festival. I had some friends that were a part of the festivities, which meant... A lot of pretty crazy dresses, a lot of pictures, a lot of alcohol, and TVs to watch football. So it was a lot of fun. Definitely a nice change of scenery. But yeah, ready and happy to be home. So what was it like going to uh, the home of Earl Campbell, Colton? It was pretty cool. I thought about it a little bit when we were in the Tyler Rose Fest. The town was a bit more spread out than I thought. It was actually really pretty. Bit of a drive though. It's about four hours from Austin, three and a half from Houston, so a little bit further than I originally thought. But it was cool. It was pretty. A lot of nice trees. We were at UT Tyler's campus a lot too, and pretty nice campus. So maybe that's the real UT. I don't know. We'll have to see. But yeah, pretty fun time. Yeah. What were we up to this weekend? Um. So I just went home this weekend because Aiden was on the bye week. And uh, my mom's birthday was yesterday, so we went out, went to a dinner or two, and just kind of hung out. I was there to, to see my family and spend some quality time with them and wish my mom a happy birthday. Happy birthday to Mrs. Shemansky, a legend. Everyone knows it. Indeed. Did you get to do um, the bye week, just chilling at home, watching football? So I had a good and bad bye week. I had a good bad. I had a good bye week because I had zero stress in regards to college football. But I also had a bad bye week because, as I mentioned in the last episode or two episodes ago, I'm an Astro fan, and that didn't really end out uh, turn out too well for us. So I will say I'm not, I'm not going to be like that sour Astro fan that talks crap to Ranger fans the entire time. I'll say congratulations to the Rangers on making their first World Series since 2011. Um, it's pretty incredible how fa- how quick of a turnaround that they've had in his organization, and I wish them the best going forward. However, um, the Astros still run Texas, in my opinion. Um, uh, but anyways, aside from that, uh, it was just a just a good, solid overall weekend. Um, like take sports out of it, and it was just awesome. Um, so yeah, I was just chilling. It was good. 
yeah, we talked about it briefly off air, but it's pretty crazy that I got, I think, all of my locks wrong this week in college football, and I know nothing about baseball, and I somehow predicted Rangers in seven. So I don't take. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to insult the city of Houston, the hometown, but I called that one. So that's fair. You did. Uh, Colton, I think we've reached the point where we should change the name of the locks of the week segment to like suggestions of the week. Yeah. I mean, you're doing better than I am. That is true. I'm on a cold streak right now. However, I do, I have had a couple of misses. Um, we could actually talk about our, our locks of the week for this past weekend. Once we get down there towards the end of the show, um, but yeah, our, our locks quote unquote have definitely become a lot more of like suggestions or like, Hey, maybe look at this one instead of, Hey, you should hammer this, you know? Yeah. I thought I was, I thought I had everything on lock after the first couple of weeks and then yeah, things have, things have really kind of spiraled for me. So we're definitely going to have to find a way to bounce back, but I've been having trouble with the snap when in regards to the locks of the week, Colton. Most definitely. I think, I think this week is my week. You think so? In the words of probably every degenerate gambler of all time, but I or, think that you kind of reminded me of a cowboy fan there. Like every single year, they're like, "This is our year. This is our year," and it hasn't. Yeah, been our, it me, hasn't been our year since the '90s. Yeah. Trust me, I go through that every year too. <laughs> but yeah, I think should we just hop into some to some week eight games? Let's do it. Let's start with the game I thought was going to be the game of the week. The Ohio State Buckeyes take down Penn State 20-12. to 12. And, yeah, I was wrong about this one. I had more faith in Penn State here, but it kind of seems like every year athletically and at the skill positions, Penn State just cannot match up with Ohio State. And even in a game where I didn't think that Kyle McCord was all that great and they were still missing Trayvon Henderson and Emeka Abuka, I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. is Maserati Marv. Maserati Marv as Gus Johnson like to say, I feel like that is one of Gus Johnson's very, very few misses. Yeah, I can agree with that. But yeah, Marvin Harrison was incredible. Another Penn State-Ohio State game meant another huge game out of Ohio State. Defender JT2 Malau had another huge game, just like last year. I think he had like three or four sacks and forced fumbles. So another big game there. And I think the Penn State is still a pretty good team. But Drew Allard really, really struggled. Actually... Reminded me a lot of Quinn Ewers last year against Oklahoma State. Things just were not flowing well for Alar at all. I believe it was 18 of 43, and Penn State didn't convert a third down until, I believe, the last possession of the game. So great defense by Ohio State. Jim Moles is doing a great job there, but you got to be better on offense if you're Penn State. I mean, one of 17 on third down is, is incredible. But, yeah, one thing I love about Ohio State is when they put the Buckeyes on the helmet, and whether it was an acorn or a Buckeye, the – Ryan Day and the Buckeyes got it done this weekend. Really, this season is, is, is going to come down to, once again, that Michigan game, the last game of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, I'm going to jump over to the SEC for a little bit because, as you know, that is the best league in ball, in my opinion, and that's my absolute favorite. Um, however, this game was not up to SEC standard by any means um, this past weekend. And that uh, the game I'm re- referring to is Mississippi State over Arkansas 7-3. Um, pretty boring game all around. It was a pretty big snooze fest in my opinion. Um, you know, both teams, they scored obviously seven, three, 
Uh, so that's one touchdown, one field goal. That's it. And um, that those came in the first quarter. So that means that both Mississippi State and Arkansas played three quarters without putting up another point on the scoreboard. Um, absolutely abysmal showing by both those teams. Um, you know, this, I, I, this uh, loss, I know that Arkansas after this game is now two and six, but this one, in my opinion, feels like the one that will probably sting the most. I mean, I know that Alabama the week before, you know, they played their hearts out, especially down to the wire last week in Tuscaloosa, just not able to pull it out. Um, So to go from that to the very next week of only putting up three points, especially back in Fayetteville in front of your own home crowd, that is a really telltale sign of just how bad the season has been for the Razorbacks. Um, in this game, KJ Jefferson, he was 19 of 31 for 97 yards, one pick, and a QBR of 15.8. So it seems like he was trying to compete for the Iowa starting job this weekend instead of actually play for Arkansas. But uh, anyways, so clearly not the best game from KJ Jefferson by by any means necessary. As for Mississippi State, Mike Wright, he was 8 for 12 for 85 yards. Uh, one touchdown, one pick, and his QBR was a 69.8. That's very nice if you ask me. Um, ultimately, though, as I was saying, this was just – I don't really even really know how to describe this game. It felt like a true – it felt like a Big Ten game just overtook an SEC game, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like I was watching, like, like Iowa on both sides of the ball. Um it just wasn't fun. It wasn't, it wasn't good. It wasn't electric is what we've come to expect from the sec. And, you know, all in all, just a, just another just devastating loss for Arkansas this season. And Colton, I know I've asked you this already once this year, but do you think, especially with the way the season's gone, that um, Sam Pittman's time will be up at the, with the conclusion of the 2023 season for the hogs? I was about to bring that up because I know we talked about it a few weeks ago and I thought he was going to get another year. I think that this might be the loss that probably tips the scales for them because I don't know if they're going to win an SEC game this year. No, I, I don't think they will. I mean, who do, do you have, do you know who they have? Like, is there out of conference kind of cupcake towards the end of the season? I'm not sure, but even if they go 0-8 in conference play, I would think he's done. Yeah, so they have FIU is that quote unquote cupcake. Um, but their schedule um, here on out uh, next this upcoming week they travel to Florida in the swamp. The week after that they have Auburn at home. After that they have FIU at home before finally taking on Missouri at home. So I hate to say it, with four games left on the schedule, they're probably only get going to get one more win out of that, and it's going to be FIU. Yeah, Auburn's pretty much their only hope at a conference win. Mm-hmm. Man. All right. Uh, you want to move on to Pac-12 a little bit? Yeah. So Oregon takes on Washington thirty. To, uh, sorry, Washington State 38-24. to 24. This game was actually closer than I thought. Washington State put up a pretty good fight. And after two rough games for Cameron Ward, he actually played very well. But Washington State could not run the ball. Pretty one-dimensional there on offense. And Oregon had a pretty balanced attack. Bo Nix and Bucky Irving were both able to throw and run the ball very well. And yeah, Oregon gets a bounce back win, takes on the Cougars 38 to 24. And I think I'm really just hoping for an Oregon Washington rematch in the title game. All right. So jumping back to the sec a little bit next game, at least in my opinion, going into this past weekend, I thought this would be the game of the week. And that is Tennessee at Alabama and Tuscaloosa. Um, just to break it down really quickly, Tennessee got off, got out to an absolute scorching hot start. Um, you know, they were up 20 to seven, I believe at the half. 
And um, clearly the first half Tennessee that showed that they could compete with pretty much anyone in the conference just decided to take the second half off. And uh, they didn't put up another point after um, after halftime in the second half. So uh, this game ultimately ended up 34-20 in Alabama's favor. So if you're Tennessee, you know, you're kind of scratching your head a little bit because, uh, you know, you look at the week before this game at the A&M, the A&M game, and um, that offense struggled a little bit, but they still were able to get it done um, against a pretty good A&M defense, I would say, pretty solid A&M defense. So obviously their game plan that they had in the first half was working. So Colton, if you don't mind me asking you just a moment, do you think that um, this this kind of collapse that they had in the second half was just because of their lack of adjustments at halftime? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Bama just really – Kind of made some good changes on on defense there. I mean, they they totally shut out Tennessee in the, in the second half. And I mean, I thought that Joe Milton played really well in the first half. But I don't know for some reason I just get the sense that Saban loves having a team like this that is kind of scrappy and maybe not as maybe not as easy to I guess kind of just dominate teams like Bama teams do in the past. But I think overall it's really been a big case of their defense has really really stepped up of late and. Jermaine Burton has turned into a very, very legit receiver. And I think that Tommy Reese is making the game a lot easier on Jalen Milrow. He doesn't really have to do too much. And he gets – they're able to kind of scheme easy deep shots for him each game. So I was honestly impressed that Tennessee was able to have a lead like that. And I'm also impressed that Bama was able to come back because I didn't really see a way that they were going to score 27 points in the second half. And they did just that. Yeah, that was incredibly impressive, especially as I mentioned, it was 20 to 7 at halftime, especially in your own home stadium. You know, we saw it this past year or earlier this season, you know, week two against Texas. I believe they were down, was it double digits at halftime or something like that? Or I know they it lost with double digits. It was seven, but it was 10 before, like very, very close before halftime. Okay, so pretty much similar territory, I guess. It's, it's pretty, it was pretty much, I'll just call it a two score game just for, um, speaking purposes here but um you know clearly they were unable to respond week two against texas but that was not the case at all on saturday so i feel like that is really showing just how much this alabama team has grown as the season has progressed um as you were saying Jalen moro the dude just has gotten better and better every week as we've seen um you know he was 14 for 21 on saturday for 220 220 yards and two touchdowns however he did throw one pick i will add um but all in all, you know, just as the weeks go on, Jalen Milrow is certainly um, proving why he is the number one guy for the starting job in Al- at, uh, at Alabama over the other options. And, uh, yeah, he just continues to grow and just get better um, throughout the, the duration of the season. Yeah, I'm with you. It's pretty cool how he's really able to, been grow, to grow over the year. And, yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, he couldn't lead a – Double-digit comeback against Texas in week two, and now we're at week eight, and he does it against a pretty tough opponent. And I know that he's at home, but it's still a, it's still a big rivalry game, and you're down 27 at the half. Things aren't really going well for you. So, yeah, I think really, really impressive what Saban and Bama's done. And I can't wait for LSU-Bama because Bama's right there in position to go 11-1. This is kind of their last obstacle, in my opinion. Yeah, no, exactly. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out there, but – Let's hop a new game with the school that Saban used to coach at. That's the Michigan State Spartans. They get pummeled by Michigan 49 to nothing. And we'll jump into more about Michigan later. But as far as this game goes, I don't really have much to say. I mean, 
Michigan did a lot of this through the air this time with J.J. McCarthy and their defense, as always, stifles Michigan State 49 to nothing. Not much here to say. The Spartans are just terrible. Quite honestly, I don't even know if they're – if I have anything to say about this, aside from Michigan did exactly what we expected him to do. Um, as we talked about in our, la- on our last episode, um, clearly they're playing like, you know, a top three team in the country. That's why they're ranked number two. Uh, but they're certainly living up to that ranking. And it will be really interesting to see how this season plays out, especially down the stretch with their season ultimately concluding um, at the big house against Ohio state. I cannot wait for that game. That game is going to be, awesome like it always is of course let's look at a sec matchup and luckily this is one of the only ones that i actually got right this week but yeah missouri takes care of south carolina 34 to 12 look spencer always had a good season but like we mentioned this south carolina o-line and pretty much this whole team is a complete mess i'm pretty shocked that they're actually this bad but i think missouri is a pretty damn good team i mean yeah, Brady Cook, who's just pretty efficient, solid guy. Cody Schrader's a really good back, and we've mentioned not only is, is Luther Burton a stud receiver, but Theo Weiss and Mookie Cooper are also dudes there too. So interested to see if Missouri can keep it tight with the Georgia Bulldogs coming up soon. But yeah, Tigers anchor pretty clearly they're the the second best team in the East. Absolutely. Um, so Colton, Missouri has has Missouri played Tennessee yet this year? I don't think they have. Um, they, have, they haven't played Tennessee or Florida. Okay. So that Missouri-Tennessee game, when it comes up on the schedule, will be really, really intriguing. Um, I agree. That'll be a lot of fun to watch. Do you happen to know if that game's in Columbia or Knoxville? Let me take a look at that real quick. It's no big deal. I'm just uh, I'm just trying to see because um, – That game's in Columbia. They play Florida and Columbia and Tennessee. They're both at home for them? Yep. Wow. Okay. So – Clearly, Tennessee has a chance to make, or excuse me, Missouri has a chance to make a ton of noise um, to to close out the season. Um, Anyways, going back to the game this past Saturday, as Colton said, Missouri won 34 to 12. Um, As for South Carolina, you know, just the offensive line did not do a good job, in my opinion. Uh, That defense clearly gave up 34 points to a pretty solid Missouri team, so I guess I'll cut them a little bit of slack. Um, as for Spencer Rattler, he was 23 of 40 uh, for 217 yards, no touchdowns, and he did throw a pick, and he had a, a whole QBR of 19.4. So it's a little bit better than Iowa numbers, but it's still nowhere near where you want that to be for your QB1. Um, as for Missouri, you know, I kind of talked about this last week. Um, going into this game, I thought Missouri was just going to straight up outgun South Carolina, and that is exactly what happened. You know, Colton mentioned – Luther Burden, Brady, uh, Luther Burden, uh, Mookie Cooper, Theo Weiss, all those dudes had great games. Um, you know, only Luther Burden out of those three though racked up a touchdown. Um, but still, they they truly just get that offense going. Um, ultimately, though, I also agree with what you just said a moment ago. I certainly believe that Missouri. I don't think that they will dethrone Georgia in the East this year. Although that would be really awesome for college football to see Missouri playing in Atlanta. At the end of the season, I don't think that will happen, unfortunately. Um, however, Missouri, as you were saying, is a damn good football team, and they're really starting to show that. So it'll be um, really fun to see just how their season plays out, especially when they have, I guess you could say, a few big more marquee games coming in coming into uh, Columbia to close out the season. Let's take a look at Texas over Houston in Houston, 31-24. 
credit to Dana Holgerson, Donovan Smith, Justin Manjack, Matthew Golden. Those dudes balled out. And after being down 21 to nothing, they were able to fight back and had a chance to tie the game there or win it at the end. There was a pretty bad spot on a third and inches there. But then Houston decided to run an out route at the Longhorns' best defensive back. So they tried to run up the middle with their 6'5 quarterback. So that did not work out. But I want to congratulate Dana Holgerson on his hypothetical win because I know he said that. Had they got the first down that they would have scored, ran a two-point play, and won the game. So congrats to Holgerson on that one. I'm sure he will be celebrating it up at Christian's tailgate. So he probably just saved his job with that hypothetical 32-31 to 31 win. As far as Longhorns go, I'm usually not one to get too high or too low here, but I think Texas is going to lose one to two more games this year, and I don't think they're going to make the Big 12 championship. They are so injured right now. People will talk about Quinn Ewers getting hurt. That's obviously a big deal, but JT Sanders is still pretty dinged up there. They lost two starting defensive linemen there in Ethan Burke and Alfred Collins. Linebacker play has not been good. Secondary play has been terrible, not to mention that they have two corners, either starting or play a lot to go down with Terrence, with, sorry, Ryan Watts, Gavin Holmes, Jalen Catalan is still hurt. I mean, there's just... JT Sanders is still dinged up there on offense. There was a lot of injuries here. Texas is pretty beat up. So we'll see what Malik Murphy can do at quarterback for the next few weeks. And he's a he's a talented guy. So we'll see if we'll see what Sark and this Texas team are made of here. And I think there's still a path to win all the remaining games. I just think honestly, every game is probably a toss-up from here. So we'll see how it goes there. But yeah, Houston has been playing some better football of late, and they were pretty close to winning this one. Texas ran an awful fake field goal that kind of helped get the Cougs back in the game, and they kind of just spammed crossers all game, and the Longhorn secondary did not really have an answer for it. Another pretty questionable game plan there from Pete Kukowski, the defensive coordinator. But nonetheless, Longhorns escape with a win and improved to 6-1. and one. I guess it's tough because a lot of teams around the country are kind of struggling with teams, but it's always more frustrating when it's the team that you follow closely. But yeah. Another good game for the running game there. Jonathan Brooks and C.J. Baxter ran hard, and Longhorns pick up a win, but I think just about every game going forward is going to be pretty close and is going to be a toss-up. So I have a few questions for you real quick regarding uh, Texas going forward. Um, as we know, Quinn Ewers, I believe he was out for, I believe, the next three to four weeks uh, due to that shoulder injury he sustained after being popped pretty hard on a QB keeper up the middle. Um, that's actually I uh, that's actually not the play that he got hurt on. That wasn't the play. So he got hurt on a sack earlier in the drive where he landed and on that, his left shoulder, and that yeah. just kind of aggravated it or something. Or well, he didn't even get hit. I mean, that was on his non-throwing shoulder, so okay. he hurt his throwing shoulder. No, I mean because I thought the same thing, but okay. The next day that uh, he got hurt on a on a sack earlier in the early in the drive. Okay, well I apologize for misinformation. Yeah, you're good. Um, but anyways, as I mentioned, he. I know I'm pretty correct about this. He's out for at least the next three to four weeks because of that shoulder injury. Um, one, how is your confidence in Malik Murphy going forward? Um, and two, I know that you just said a second ago that Texas will, uh, the majority of the games going forward will be pretty much coin tosses. So out of the, your remaining schedule, what game scares you the most on the schedule? I think Kansas State and Iowa State, Kansas State and Iowa State scare me the most. But to go back to Malik Murphy real quick, it's tough because he hasn't gotten to play a lot. I think one thing is Texas is very, very lucky, and to Sark's credit, that they're able to have a quarterback room that I think a lot of teams would would definitely love to have. I mean, I think AM there is also pretty lucky, too, to have Max Johnson. But there's a lot of teams where I think Malik Murphy would actually probably start for. 
And I know that after his spring game performance, there are a lot of teams that were trying to get him to go to the portal. So he's a talented guy, and the Longhorns have have, have good receivers, pretty good run games, and, and the O-line should be getting a bit healthier. But it's hard to say just because I just haven't seen him play. But I think it obviously could be worse. I think if he takes care of the ball and can just kind of get it to the receivers and let them work, then the Longhorns have a good chance. Luckily, Kansas State and BYU are at home, and I still think that there are a lot of matchups that really favor Texas in that game and both those games. But I just think it's tough to say because the defense, I think, has been good this year, but now you're dealing with a ton of injuries and some schematic issues that you've seen the last couple of weeks. So we'll see. I mean, I think Texas is still going to be favored in pretty much every game going forwards, but I think without Quinn Ewers, it, it just makes every game a lot tougher, especially when you're having to deal with a lot of injuries on defense. So I don't really want to harp on this too much longer because I know we have quite a few more games to cover. But real quick, um, how do you think Sark will, uh, I guess, do you think, okay, let me rephrase this. Do you think Sark will change the offense, like in the way it's been running up to this point in the season, to help adapt to Malik Murphy more? Or do you think Malik Murphy will be plugged right into the same offense that Quinn Years has been running since day one um, or and so on and so forth? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I hope he's able to adapt it because obviously Quinn has been playing more, so he has more experience reading defenses and one on even though Quinn isn't that great at reading defenses either. But I mean, I think I think honestly Sarks is Sark is gonna try and lean on the run game. And in theory it makes sense to be able to just run slants and quick outs and screens to Xavier Worthy, A. D. Mitchell, Jordan Whittington, JT Sanders, and all those guys. So Longhorns have the weapons, but yeah, I'm with you there. I, I want to see how Sark can kind of simplify this offense because I feel like a simplified offense can still win a lot of games for this Longhorns team. So yeah, we'll see. And defense has to step up and get healthier, but it's going to be interesting. I mean, yeah, a lot of teams I, yeah. are struggling, and this is a pretty bad injury bug that has hit the Longhorns right now. I definitely think I'm. I'm kind of with you on that as well. I think. Um, Going forward, Texas, I mean, of course, because due to his lack of experience uh, playing this season, I do think Texas will rely a lot more on the running game. Um, not necessarily because of Malik Murphy's lack of experience, but mainly because you have such a workhorse in Jonathan Brooks, who is just an absolute dog running the football. Um, so it makes complete and total sense. Like, you got to feed the studs. I guess that's what Bobby Petrino says here. And so, but you can use that philosophy for, for pretty much every football team in the country. And definitely Jonathan Brooks is one of the is one of the bigger stars on Texas's offense. So it makes complete and total sense why they would do that going forward. Yeah. He's almost at a thousand yards this year, which is, which is pretty impressive, but yeah, I don't know. Defensively, it's just concerning because Longhorns were able to shut down the run with an honest front and still gave up almost 400 yards through the air, but and just to see how the Cougs play against. Welcome to our <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I feel bad for Tillman for He's the worst owner in the NBA. So I know he was upset about that loss. I will completely agree with that, but that's that's something we could cover another time. Yeah, let's look at Ole Miss beating Auburn in the Hugh Freeze Bowl, twenty-seven to twenty. Honestly, don't have much in this game. This game was a little bit closer than I thought. Auburn has a pretty good defense, but in the end, Jackson Dart and Ole Miss are able to overcome an Auburn team that, frankly, really is not serious because they have trouble completing forward passes. So that's about all I've got. You know, I, I don't really have much on this game either. I, I will be completely honest. I, I wasn't able to watch a lot of it. Um, but I, I will say I, I'm happy that my one my uh, half of my locks from this past weekend hit, and this was the one that hit. So that that's a good thing for me. 
all in all, though, I mean, Ole Miss, they're, after this game, they improved to 6-1 on the season. They're bowl eligible, uh, ranked 13th in the country at the, at, um, the playing in this game, and clearly – uh, Lane Kiffin's doing something doing something correct this season so far in Oxford, and I don't necessarily see them slowing down um, at all going forward. However, Colton, I will uh, like to make a quick note of this. Uh, Jackson Dart in this game had a negative one QBR and still won the game. That's some Iowa type. That's really impressive. I mean, Quinshawn Judkins, he had 21 carries for 124 yards and a touchdown. Um, but Jackson Dart had two touchdowns of his own on the ground. So, I mean, when you're, when you're punching it in twice with your legs, um, it makes sense why you're not going to pass the ball as much, but, uh, either way, I just thought that would be something to note. Yeah. You should probably work on that negative QBR. Yeah. That's impressive. That's not going to win many games going forward, but no, yeah, I don't know. I'll miss six and one. Hey man, they're still alive in the West. Even well, they they did lose to Bama, but still, you never know. Anything's possible. Yeah, if they can beat Georgia, we'll see. Anything's possible. It's college football. Yep. Let's look at Florida State taking down Duke in an undefeated conference matchup there with, or undefeated in conference matchup there with the Seminoles and Duke. I thought that Mike Elko catch a great game. I did think that he should not have let Riley Leonard play because he was clearly pretty injured. And yeah, I mean, I think people will say that if Riley Leonard wouldn't have left the game. The Duke would have won. I don't really agree with that. I think if he was 100% healthy whole game, maybe that would have happened. But he was pretty hollow from the start. And, yeah, I mean, Duke hung in there for a while, and they were winning going into the fourth. And then, you know, I mean, you've kind of seen them for some good teams this year. You're able to wear teams down. And Florida State did that with 21 unanswered in the fourth quarter and another big game from Jordan Travis. And FSU was able to run the ball and get out of there with an 18-point win. So I think Florida State is pretty clearly going to walk into the ACC championship game. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that Florida State is the best team in the ACC. Um, They've proven that all year. They're undefeated. They've, you know, passed every big test up to this point so far. And, you know, there's no question in my mind that they are the best team in the conference. Um, Anyways, as for this game – you know, you did say that um, Duke had a lead going into the fourth quarter. Um, so that that I feel like that truly um, speaks volumes to just how well Mike Elko prepared for at least in the first three quarters. However, um, I do think that when the fourth quarter started and Florida State was able to put up 21 uh, unanswered points on Duke, um, I feel like that really showed just the, the true separation of athletes, like the, the true separation of um, – the two rosters at play, if that makes sense. Because Florida State, as we know, they're they're pretty loaded, and Duke, you know, they're kind of they're kind of young, they're kind of on the come up. We haven't had too many, you know, major recruits go there, so on and so forth. So clearly, their their roster is not as stacked as someone's as Florida State. So I feel like that really came into play, um, especially in that fourth quarter. Uh, ultimately, though, um, I do agree with what you're saying. Mike Elko did have a pretty damn good game plan up until that fourth quarter. Um, and going forward for the Blue Devils, uh, best case scenario, you just got to hope that Riley Leonard, um, you know, doesn't get re-injured by immediately throwing himself back into the fire like this after that pretty significant lower leg injury a couple weeks ago. Yeah, let's look at another ACC game. Miami and Mario Cristobal get their first conference win of the year, taking down Dabos Windy and Clemson 28-20 there in Hard Rock Stadium. Quarterback Tyler Van Dyke for the Hurricanes, 
could not give it a go. So they rolled with a true freshman, Emory Williams, and he was fine. 24-33 for 151, a touchdown and a pick. But more surprisingly, they were able to, to run the ball to a tune of 5.6 a carry and 211 yards on this pretty style Clemson defense. And look, I don't know. I mean, Kate Klubnik was fine. But I don't know. Something about this Clemson offense just feels kind of off and clunky. Like it really has for the last year and a half or two. And yeah, Miami fought back in this game and got it to overtime with Chris Ball still being a bit conservative. I think they had the ball at around midfield and he didn't even try and go for the win at the end of regulation. But yeah, they go to double OT. Cade Klubnik kind of does his own thing and tries to pull a read option. It does not work, and the Hurricanes get a win. Yeah, Clemson falls at 2-3 and three in conference play, which is pretty wild to say. All right, hopping, hopping um, out west, we're going to look at a Pac-12 matchup, which obviously was the biggest game of the week for the Pac-12. That would be Utah over USC, 34-32 in the Coliseum. Um, man, there is just something about uh, Caleb Williams and playing at the University of Utah. He's, I believe, 0-3 in his career against the Utes. Um there's just something about that team. Maybe it's the logo. Maybe it's – it could be anything. I don't know. But there's just something about him that he doesn't like and just can't seem to get past. Um, and that was obviously the same same deal that we saw this past Saturday. Uh, great game, all, all in all. You know, um, Utah at one point was up 28-14, to 14, and then USC eventually stormed back. And um, with a minute and 46 seconds left, uh, Tennessee – or, excuse me, USC uh, punched it in on a Caleb Williams touchdown run to give, them the, give themselves a 32-31 lead. You know, you got to be feeling pretty good about yourself, although they did miss a two-point conversion, so they left it at a one-point game. Um, however, uh, Bryson Barnes, the quarterback of US, or excuse me, my gosh, Bryson Barnes, the quarterback of Utah, is an absolute dog. He's an absolute warrior. The dude has stepped up huge when the Utes have needed him most this season. Um and he stepped up once again um, this past weekend against USC, leading the charge um, down the field with little to no time left on the clock to ultimately set up the game-winning field goal for the Utes to topple the USC Trojans 34-32. And, man, it was just it was a great game. And, Colton, I, I know you talked about this, but we weren't recording. Um, it's funny because I was texting you about this game when you were uh, busy during the Rose Festival and I texted you. I was like, I believe in the Utes. I believe in the Utes. And as soon as I texted you that, Caleb Williams rushed it in to give them give USC a late lead. <laughs> so you're like, what the hell was that? Yeah, it was pretty funny. I was following the game on my phone, and I ended up rewatching it when I got home the next day. But yeah, Willis texted me about the game, and he texted me something like, Caleb Williams always chokes against Utah. And so I check ESPN, and it says Caleb Williams walks in for a touchdown, and then man well that was an all-time jinx and then he was like no nah, man i still believe in the utes and then you know what do you know bryson barnes takes him down there for the win but yeah huge win for the utes i mentioned in the preview that if they had cam rising i thought that they would win because lincoln riley always loses to tough programs because he frankly runs a pretty solid program and his defense is terrible utah's very physical but i mean look credit to kyle whittingham and morgan scally they made caleb williams look kind of uncomfortable again this I don't know. This USC offense is kind of a little clunky right now. It seems like some possessions is on and some possessions just way, way off. And part of that's probably because their O line is really struggling there. But like always, Utah has a ballers on defense with a guy like Van Fillinger who forced a pretty big fumble. And offensively, I mean, yeah, Bryson Barnes, 
had struggled earlier in the year, and he really stepped up this game with that run to set up the field goal. Jaquin and Jackson and Sion Uvaki were were just absolute beasts on offense. They're receiving and rushing the ball, and yeah, Utah finds a way. And yeah, I mean, they just own Lincoln Riley, so big time win there. We do have to mention that Cam Rising is shut down for the year, which is a shame. I was hoping he was going to be able to play this year, and you you always kind of wonder what Utah could have been if they if they'd be undefeated right now if they had him and competing for the playoffs, but. Luckily, we'll get to see Rising back next year for his seventh year of football. So it'll be fun to watch Rising. He's a he's a fun dude to watch. So hopefully this extra year off will help him recover and he'll come back next year stronger than ever. Let's look at another Pac-12 game that was way closer than I thought. Washington beating Arizona State at home 15-7. to And Washington did not score an offensive touchdown. I think going into this game, Penix was pretty clearly the Heisman favorite. We talked about how they had 2019 LSU vibes. Man, 2019 LSU's offense never struggled like this, and Washington was pretty lucky here, as it takes a lot of luck sometimes if you're going to compete for a championship. It's kind of how it goes. The ball falls your way. But, yeah, ASU was driving to make the lead even bigger, and the refs missed a pretty bad pass interference call there in Washington. And I believe the next play, Washington was able to snag a pick six and win the game 15-7. to So, yeah, this game was much closer than I thought, but – the Huskies survive. Well, what'd you see here? Uh, that holding call or that pass interference holding, whatever it was down the stretch for Arizona state. That was bad. Have you, I'm assuming you saw the picture of it or like the, the replay of it on Twitter or just whatever. Yeah, it was absolutely horrendous. Um, and clearly that flipped the game completely in favor of Washington. Um, I'm not going to dog the rest because bad calls like that or missed calls. It's just part of football. But um, anyways, yeah, a bit of a, a head scratcher a little bit for the Huskies. You know, you're coming off that big that big and exciting win against Oregon. And, you know, you kind of have a you have a one-win Arizona State team rolling into home. Um, especially, you know, Washington also unveiled some special uniforms for this game. They're kind of like it's like all purple or something like that with gold and their helmets are kind of dark purple, almost like a poppy seed. Um, I can't tell if it's, if it's black or purple, but at least you you get what I'm saying. It was, it was a dark kind of color like that. Anyways, um, you know, you're rolling in, you're feeling good about yourself, new uniforms, big win undefeated up to this point on the season. Um, As I was saying, a one win team coming in, expecting you to take care of business. And, you know, it, it seemed for the first three quarters of football, we were on track for another 7-3 finish like how we were in Mississippi State and Arkansas. Um, obviously, that was not the case down the stretch of the game as uh, Washington was able to put up 12 unanswered points in the fourth quarter to eventually seal the deal. But, man, it just it just seemed off, if to say the least, um, considering what we, what we have come to expect from the Huskies up to this point in the season with how electric Michael Penix has been so far to this point. It just... It was just weird to see them look kind of human again. Um, but I guess, as you were saying, that is true. Um, you know, certain teams who are ultimately competing for championships, they all seems like at one point, you know, kind of walk um, a fine line in certain games when they should probably definitely take care of business, unless you're 2019 LSU for the most part. That team just dominated absolutely everybody. Um, but anyways, yeah, a bit of a head-scratcher, but, you know, a win's still a win, and the perfect season is still alive for the Huskies, and the college football playoff is still well within reach for them. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I got about that one. Speaking of perfect season staying alive, 
Man, UCF was looking for their first conference win in the Big 12, and man, this would have been a huge one, but OU ultimately beats the Golden Knights 31-29 to in Norman. This game was a lot of fun. Gus Malzahn coming off a of bye week had had a lot of wrinkles up his sleeve and a lot of tricks there, and I mean, they were running some they're running some some pretty awesome plays. John Rice Plumley got the nod, and he's been injured, and I don't even think he was fully healthy. So I was interested to see what this game would have looked like had he been able to move around more. But, yeah, pretty entertaining game here that UCF led going into the fourth quarter, and OU was able to survive UCF for an attempted double pass on the two-point conversion that I think just about everybody in the stadium knew was coming. Venables had that one. Pretty well scoped out there, and OU survives. But, yeah, this was kind of the OU team that I felt really confident in Texas beating. And, look, OU just can't run the ball, frankly. Against Texas, Dylan Gabriel was pretty much their only source of running. And UCF had a better game plan than Texas did. And UCF, and they could have won this game. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you're OU, you survive. But after a bye week, you never want to have a game that tight with a with an inferior team, but the Sooners find a way there. But pretty fun game. I just want to get out ahead of it. OU minus 19 was one of my locks of the week, and that was very wrong. So I can't say that I wasn't rooting for the Knights in this one, but OU gets it done. College football, man. You just, you know, it, you just as soon as you think you have it figured out, it just immediately throws you a curveball and flips everything around 180. But that's why we love this sport. Um Anyways, I don't really have much to say about this game, aside from, you know, Oklahoma was getting absolutely punched in the mouth through about three and a half quarters of this game until they ultimately decided, you know, hell with it. We're, we need to win this game in order to keep the perfect season going and uh, have a shot at the playoff, and clearly that's what happened. Um, I will say, though, it was um, – I saw earlier in the week that Dylan Gabriel, who uh, I don't know how many people out there know, he was the um, – a former player at UCF. And so he did say earlier this week that Oklahoma would have their hands full with his former team. And that seemed to be a bit of an understatement. Um, you know, as Colton was saying, Gus Malzahn clearly had some tricks up his sleeve, whatnot, and was able to, was able to mount a lead for about three and a half quarters of this game. Um, but ultimately Oklahoma just persevered, found a way to get it done. And the perfect season is still alive. Let's look at an undefeated team who was not able to survive there as the Virginia Cavaliers take down North Carolina on the road, 31-27 to here. This is a bad loss for UNC and Mac Brown, but I do want to say shout-out to Virginia. I think this is, this is pretty awesome to see after the, the tragedy that UVA had to go through last year, having three of their players killed tragically, but and it kind of seemed like this year they were – They've been pretty close to picking up big wins at times, especially against a team like NC State. But, yeah, they were able to get it done against North Carolina, and they should have won by more. They actually fumbled the ball out of the end zone when they were going to go up by two scores late in the game. And credit to the Cavs. They were able to, able to make a stop there at the end. And, yeah, I don't know. For North Carolina, Drake May goes for 347, but only completes 50% of his passes. It's just kind of been a weird year where you know he's a stud, but – Things have just kind of seemed off, and Tez Walker is back. He has 11 catches for 146, but they target him 18 times, and that just feels like a lot for any receiver, no matter how good of a player he is. So, yeah, I don't know. Something about Carolina has just been kind of off this year offensively, and, yeah, like we'll mention college football. Once you think you have 
Carolina figured out after that big win against Miami, they come back and lose to Virginia. But shout out to Tony Elliott and the University of Virginia for the for the big win. Let's get to our last game. Minnesota takes on Iowa 12 to 10, which of course I want to apologize to our audience for hyping up Iowa. I mean, I think we mentioned that every game could be a toss-up, but it turns out, well, you do not have to start talking to your kids about 11-1 Iowa because their offense is still pretty atrocious. Deacon Hill throws for over 100 yards. Unfortunately, it was only 10 of 18 with a 10.4 QBR, which is actually higher than it's been the last two weeks combined. And Is it yeah, actually? I mean, not much of offense to speak of in this game anyways. And I think that the big thing at the end there was the Cooper DeGene punt return touchdown that was waved off due to a legal fair catch of sorts where it looked like he was trying to wave his teammates off from touching the ball, but he ended up picking up returning for a touchdown. And I guess that the refs ruled that his arm was up and it looked like a fair catch. I think it's, it's a bit ticky tack, but I think it was probably the right call. And like, if you're Iowa, you cannot expect to win a game scoring 10 points like they do every week. So yeah, I don't know. It looks like Wisconsin and even a team like Nebraska is back in the thick of the big 10 West race. So We'll see, but yeah, look, Iowa, it's just a disaster on offense. And look, if they were a normal program, Brian Ferentz would have been fired three to four years ago. But I don't know if Kirk's willing to just kind of go down with the sun here, but I think, I don't know. I mean, Iowa's Iowa. We've come to expect it from him at this point. Um, it's It's crazy just how stuck this offense has been for the past few seasons and it's crazy. Iowa had two yards of offense in the second half that's it two and you said their quarterback had a QBR of like 15 which was he had a QBR of 10.4 and his combined QBR the previous two weeks I think was 8.2 or something <sighs> that's like un- unfathomable like I'm trying to like wrap my mind around that right now. It's just not really making sense. Yeah, it's it's unreal. Um, I am kind of bummed that I won't be able to tell my kids about eleven uh, one Iowa one day. That would have been a pretty legendary team to talk about, though. I was trying to come up with a speech, but it I couldn't even come up with the words. It was indescribable, and I guess it is not going to happen this year. But hey, maybe next yeah. year. Yeah, maybe next year's the year they're gonna. They're going to run over USC. I mean, I'm just kind of bummed. <laughs> they, they will. Um, uh, I'm just kind of bummed, though, because going into this game, they were still undefeated in games that they scored points in, um, and now that's not the case anymore as well. That's kind of a bummer. Yeah. I mean, I guess in games they score points, they are 6-1. and one, So yeah, hey. still, if Iowa scores points, you should maybe bet on, bet on them to win the game. But, yeah. I mean, speaking of low-scoring games, my other lock of the week that I got completely wrong was Arkansas minus six against Mississippi State, which we already mentioned. The line was minus six, and Arkansas barely – and Arkansas didn't even score six points. So, I mean, yeah, seven to three loss there. Sam Pittman's probably done. And, yeah, well, at least one of your locks hit. Yeah, um, I mentioned it just a moment ago, but my one lock that hit was Ole Miss minus six and a half versus Auburn. Um, a bit of a sweaty game. I mean, it, it barely hit by literally a half a point. Um, but a lock or a hit is still a hit, and I will take that every day of the week. However, um, I did mention last last episode 
that um, I will completely eat my crow about this. If this lock whiffed, and my goodness, did it whiff? That was Army plus 31 against LSU. Um, man, I, I, I whiffed. I completely whiffed. I thought Army's time of possession would completely chew uh, – chew up the time or chew up the clock where LSU wouldn't even have the chance to score 31 points. Um, I also didn't take into account for whatever reason when I decided that that was my lock of the week, that there's a very good chance that army's prehistoric offense goes three and out on majority of their drives. And that seemed to be the case for just about the majority of the game for them. Um, I think my main takeaway after this Colton is that I feel like I've bet on L- bet against LSU probably at least twice throughout this season and it's kind of come back to bite me in the ass both times. So I think I'll probably just leave LSU alone going forward. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just my inner Aggie cause I'm not the biggest fan of LSU, but um, yeah, I mean this, this one sucks. It kind of hurts, but at the same time, it was also such a crazy off the wall pick. It feels like that it would, it would almost make no sense whatsoever for it to cash. And clearly it didn't cash. Jaden Daniels has been, incredible this year yeah no he really has been i can't wait for for lsu bama because it's a great defense versus a great offense when is that game it's um number fourth yeah i was about to say that's gonna be a lot of fun excuse me yeah i think the last thing we kind of have to touch on here it's kind of hard not to talk about is this whole michigan sign stealing scale just for people who don't know essentially michigan had a graduate assistant or or not a graduate assistant but they had this uh, analyst of source, Connor Stallion, who I guess used to, was he in the military or the Navy or something or the Air Force? He was ex-military, I believe, yeah. Yeah, and so one of his things that he specialized in, which he actually bragged about on, on his LinkedIn, was being some sort of decoder or some sort of spy, investigative type of guy. And so essentially he was sign-stealing, which for people who don't know, sign-stealing in-game is not illegal. It's been going on forever. And actually coaches like Brent Venables have kind of made their careers off of doing things like that. And it's a, it's a pretty common thing and it's, it's not cheating at all, but what Michigan had this guy doing was he would buy tickets to future opponents games. And he would sit at a point in the stadium around the 40, 50 yard line, upper deck where you could see the other team sidelines and he would just record the entire game and was able to steal signs. And they're really, he really did not do a good job of hiding this at all. And yeah, I think this is, pretty bad for, for Michigan. I don't know what the punishment is going to be because the NCAA is, is just a disaster. But, I mean, this is pretty much cheating the integrity of the game, and I think it's I think it's a pretty bad look for, for the Wolverines. Yeah, I um, I don't really have much to say about this because at the same time, I feel like this story is still ongoing. There's still new things that come out about it. I feel like there's a new pop-up that came out about it literally this afternoon. Um, so, as of right now, I don't necessarily have too much to say about it other than it is kind of outrageous just the the lengths that Michigan went to steal the signs of other teams. As you mentioned, he um, this analyst um, went to complete went to um, games that Michigan wasn't even playing in, but it was future opponents to steal their signs like you know in advance like that. That that's you know I'll, I'll give it to him. That's dedication to the craft. Um, I, I admire the dedication, but at the same time. Uh, you know it's frowned upon, and clearly it's it's not um, not the most legal thing to do, at least in that far in advance the way that they were doing it. Um, it's just kind of odd though, because you know I, I hate to say it, but um, 
my the the lot the whenever I hear of sign stealing, um, I think we can all kind of think back to the Astros. Unfortunately, as much as it pains me to say that, it's the truth. Um, so it's kind of odd to hear um, to hear that happen in football, but it makes total sense. And uh, the other thing that came into my mind regarding this story, kind of. Um, Colton, have you ever heard the Mike Leach when Mike Leach was at Oklahoma? Did you hear us like in 2000, like the false play sheet that he had uh, yeah, in the Texas. Cotton Bowl against Texas? That's it, like one of the first things that came into my mind about like this whole kind of sign stealing thing. That's such a great story. For people that don't know Leach, Leach basically had this false script that he purposefully dropped. It was a false play card. Like it, yeah. it, uh, it had like the first like three possessions. Yeah. 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 Like 15 plus plays on it or something like that. And so one of the Texas coaches picked it up and he thought he had struck gold knowing other plays and it turns out it was all the complete wrong plays. And know you jumped out to a huge lead there, but yeah, this is, this is pretty bad. I mean, he bought all the tickets in his own name too, which is just really dumb. Wasn't and, even trying to hide it, you know? Yeah. And the video today that, came out was from the Michigan Ohio State game last year and it's the first play of the game and you can see him saying next to Michigan's coaching staff and first play of the game he's able to notice that it's going to be a pass play and that's I mean if, if you're stealing signs in game you don't know them the first play of the game so that's that's a pretty big indicator that there is some funny business going on before the game but yeah we'll see how it all unravels but the things that are coming out do not look good for Michigan no, I'm. Uh, what do you think the NCAA will just like? What do you think they will do to punish them? Like have them vacate a couple wins or like a bowl ban or? How do you think the NCAA will will handle this? I mean, I I don't know how they'll handle it because they're just a disaster and they don't kind really of, kind of spineless. Yeah, but this is definitely worthy of vacating. I feel like all their wins from the last couple of years. Yeah, no, I I can see that. So and. I would definitely think some pretty big punishments, probation, things like that. But who knows with them? But I think it's, I think it's pretty bad. Look, I think it's, I, I think it's pretty unfair. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. But yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Just big story that we had to talk about. But yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up all we've got for week eight. We're excited to get back to y'all for week nine, which is crazy to say that we're already this far along. But we're just gonna keep pushing along and bringing out content and watching football. Yeah, it's it's crazy because it feels like yesterday you and I were just released our first episode like two or three weeks before the season started. We're like, oh, I can't wait for it to be here. And now we're already well past the halfway point and about to, we're already in the home stretch of the season, unfortunately. Just crazy how time goes by, just how fast this already got here. But at the same time, it's been a hell of a ride up to this point in the season. And I, aside from AM losing, I've had, nothing short of a damn good time yeah it's been a pretty awesome year so let's keep it rolling absolutely um yeah that is that'll just about close us out here won't it all right so yeah um before we close out as always i, I personally just want to thank everyone for listening if you've reached this point in the episode thank you very much uh, colton and i really appreciate it if you have any comments suggestions ideas thoughts anything you want us to talk about etc you know where to reach us on socials um but yeah, thank you all very much. And we will talk to you all later this week as we uh, release our week nine preview. Thank you all.